Hello and welcome to This is Ibrix, the Rangers podcast Shut up and sit down Hello and welcome to episode 3 of This Is Ibrooks The Rangers Podcast. I'm your usual host Martin Douglas and joining me on the pod tonight we welcome back Wally the Sick Note Boyd. Hi Wally, how you doing? I'm fine, how are you Martin? Ah, no bad mate, no bad. And but I'm also welcoming back our super sub, it's Thomas Wee Tam McIntyre. How are you doing Thomas? Uh, I'm, I'm feeling slightly bigger. And just before we get started guys, I'd just like to take this opportunity to say to anybody listening that I hope everybody's well and everybody's family's well and this coronavirus isn't affecting them too much. I would just like to echo everything Martin said and the only good thing to come out of this is the fact that guys are now washing their hands coming out the toilet. Yeah, well, the uh, the toilet point aside, I imagine uh, I obviously wish everybody the best. You know, things are going to get difficult, and uh, you know, stay safe and, and look after each other. It's it's going to be a, a tough time. And obviously, um, we're going to talk about the the league situation and stuff, and uh, we can't say for sure when this virus is going to go away or we're going to get back to playing football, but just. With regards to the leagues and stuff, in your opinion, what what could or should happen? Well, that's a, a fairly broad question there, and I'll try and be as succinct as I, as I possibly can. Um, we've all probably seen the statement that UEFA has put out after consultations with the European Club Association, the ECA, uh, the European Leagues, and FIFA, the, the Football Players Worldwide Association. Uh, as you say, moving... Uh, UEFA Euro 2020 uh, from the, I think it's the 12th of June to the 12th of July this year, postponing it to the 11th of June to the 11th of July 2021 to try and ensure that uh, that um, tournament can be, can be played out. Um, in terms of European club competitions, I think they'd, uh, within their statement, had made pretty much three key propositions which we are um, in no particular order here. Um, a commitment to complete all the domestic and European club competitions by the end of the, uh, as they term it, the current sporting season, which would be roughly, I think, 30th of June this year, um, at, at the very latest. So really the expectation is to try and get them finished quicker um, because, and I'm sure we'll touch on this later, uh, if you run them, up to and maybe potentially beyond the 30th, you've then got contractual obligations from players, etc., and clubs where players would be out of contract and have to have ad hoc emergency uh, uh, contracts put in place. But um, all of that was predicated um, on the situation with COVID-19 coronavirus, uh, you know, improving su- sufficiently to allow that to be playing. And it makes no distinction about um, playing behind closed doors, etc., and some of these decisions might be made on a, a national FA uh, basis. I think they'd also point out um, there would be potential limitations 
or drops of, of current uh, calendar slots for UEFA competitions to try and move matches to weekdays and weekends and possible adaptations to the uh, to next season, the 2021 season's Champions League and Europa League qualifying rounds um, in case of a late completion of the, the current season. So that's you know, post the 30th of June date that we spoke about there. To go back to your, your question, because that's a fairly long answer, in terms of what that means domestically, there's a couple of, well, there's two points mainly. One, UEFA are passing essentially a high-level torch across there, but they're not mandating what national FAs have to do. So they're not specifically saying you will play the season now or you will hand the trophies over or you will declare null and void um, because they can't. And this is an ongoing situation with the coronavirus. And two, what they're essentially saying is we will review this as the situation ongoes. So what you're looking at, best case scenario, is that we're going to be left with national FAs trying to make decisions. Uh, and that leads us back to the SPFL board, which is probably not fit for purpose. And I don't care what club you support in Scotland, you'd probably agree with that. Trying to get a best fit proposition that answers the wailing holds saying we want a trophy right now. And other people of a more um, circumspect, uh, rational viewpoint saying, well, you can't hand out trophies until you actually finish a league. The final part of that is that my understanding of the SPFL rules are that at a very bare minimum, uh, there has to be at least 30 games played by all clubs. And at this current point in time, the majority of the clubs are sitting on 29, ourselves included. So essentially, it's an answer but it really just kicks the can down the road and we won't have a fuller answer until we see the developing nature of the coronavirus pandemic across Europe and therefore those European leagues. Long answer, maybe a short answer, so to speak, is that there is no answer right now. Sorry, sorry, Thomas, I fell asleep there. Um... Well, I am much... <laughs> uh, but, but, but like Thomas says, well, this is a, a basically a pandemic that... that we've never seen before so I understand Thomas's point on the SFA basically being not fit for purpose I would agree but no matter what FA you are this is, this is really trying times and I mean if you're a specific club coming out and saying you wanted titles handed over and stuff like that it's well it's we know who we're talking about it's, it's impossible at this time to have any sort of plans in place until we know what's going to happen with this virus yeah, exactly. Um, I just find it hard that we'll probably see football this side of the summer, to be honest. Um, especially when you look at Italy, Spain, there's cases where players are now getting the infections, the virus. Um, how long it's going to take them to recover, I'm not too sure. Is it a couple of weeks or something? But um, it's starting to affect the squad, so I can't see them fitting in and cramming in the Champions League games, Europa League games. Or the domestic league games, not even just in Scotland, but with Scotland as well, uh, and the Euros and the Euro qualifiers all before June. I just can't see it happening. I don't think it will happen. Jump in there, guys. I think William's absolutely correct. But one little part of the narrative that seems to get lost here when we're talking about the coronavirus and potentially uh, playing games behind closed doors to finish seasons is that we talk about the players and the fans. But we're not spending enough time um, acknowledging that 
there's a whole infrastructure of people behind the scenes that have to be in place to make these games happen, from people within uh, the stadium setups to the support staff for the actual teams. So, you know, assistant managers, coaches, um, referees, lines people, um, all making sure the game can go ahead and the athletes are prepared. And then, you know, uh, physiotherapists, etc., at the back end to make sure that they are um, and they recover properly. So there's a whole remit of people, or a whole raft of people, I should say, that by forcing games to be played behind closed doors, you're still putting at risk. And I think um, that's something that's maybe slightly lost in terms of what is, you know, a killer disease. Um, it's not just as simple as saying to the players, right, go and play behind closed doors, and that's it. There's a lot of other people that could potentially be affected. And, and also, just on that as well, while they're talking about playing games behind closed doors, we're actually seeing clubs coming out and saying that they can't afford to not play games because most of their money is generated by ticket sales. And you just have to look at today coming out with Hearts asking um, their players and staff to take 50% pay cuts so they don't have to have redundancies. So playing games behind closed doors might help some clubs in the future try and get games finished, but it's also going to seriously affect the finances of smaller clubs as well. I don't even think it would be smaller clubs. Like I think Hearts are quite a bigger, big team as well, big side in Scotland. I, think, I don't well, know the last one either. Depends. Hearts' big team depends. <laughs> well, I, I think either way, it'll probably start to become across the board a wee bit more with, with maybe some of the teams. Because, as I said, I, I'd be very surprised if we're playing any football in 2020 the way some of the experts are talking. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Again, I think that's that's spot on. It's how long's a piece of string. Uh, a pandemic, you know, is by nature ever evolving. Uh, and as we see in the daily briefings from the UK government, things can change in a heartbeat. One little mention, because because you'd mentioned Hearts there, uh, to their credit as well, um, it's worth pointing out and 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 giving them a bit of kudos for this that within that fifty percent reduction. They'd also put a, a floor there that nobody, even with the reduction, would go below the um, the uh, living wage threshold of eighteen thousand one hundred thirty-five. I think per annum salary. Um, they'd still mandated that. So a club that is fighting to make sure it can keep the, the lights on, so to speak, and taking drastic action, but also trying to do the right thing in terms of a living wage. And I think that's to the credit of the, the Hearts board and Anbridge. Well, that's depressed me because I've just found out I get paid below the living wage. But anyway, moving on. Um, I also, we this podcast at all? No, you've no idea how deep it goes. Um, <laughs> to, just again, uh, <clears throat> Thomas on the club finances as well. I know, listen, this is a pandemic and human life matters more than anything else. We get that, but we're just talking purely from a football point of view right now. This is going to seriously affect clubs all over Scotland because we don't have a great deal of money in this country as it is. And you're seeing clubs now, I think, is it Rafe Rovers are close to going bust? And this is a this is a pandemic that's going to seriously affect Scottish football, even after it's all said and done and we're back playing football. Yeah, I think that's, a, again, a really kind of pressing point, not just football, but life in general. It's just how quickly you get over the pandemic, but how quickly life returns to normal. Um, you know, Scottish football's got a very much, particularly outside of the top flight, very much a, a hand-to-mouth feel about it. Um, uh, and certainly, 
football in general is a bit of a it works on a liquidity cycle. You know, you've got your um, your TV money, your match day income, and then essentially player trading and stuff like that as well. So if you take one of those blocks out, um, then clubs have not only a, a short-term funding issue, but they've got a liquidity issue. Um, and therefore, you probably see more clubs either take the drastic action that Hearts have, or the you know the even further drastic action and warning that clubs like Rafe Rovers have. Certainly, it, you know we we hope that all clubs uh, survive. Um, maybe put that in italics. Actually, some clubs uh, survive, um, but I would imagine that certainly in the lower leagues of Scotland, we will absolutely see some drastic measures. Clubs maybe get any hiatus, uh, and then. You know, coming back on board or back online once um, the pandemic's gone and leagues are back up and running. But right now, what's interesting to see is a lack of either a clear plan from the SFA or indeed any financial intervention for these smaller clubs. Rangers are fairly lucky, uh, let's be quite honest here, in that we've got some, you know, we're trading at a loss. We're aware of that. That's been the, the fiscal plan that was laid out by the board. But we also have. Uh, shareholders with deep pockets and so we can afford to continue on and, and pay etc but there's no club in Scotland no club in Scotland that could continue indefinitely without some further intervention if this stretches out um, as, as William was saying beyond 20, uh, Christmas 2020 into 2021 that just doesn't work very little there's very little um, from a football perspective that I could actually be able to do that well, the club released a, a short but firm statement on the league process and what's happening with the club regarding the coronavirus. And I think it's fair to say it's a statement that the fans will be happy with. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it really kind of left any stone unturned, so to speak. Um, they've uh, went on to speak, but obviously hoping that it kind of clears up and, and everybody's taking the, the right precautions in regards to kind of keeping your hands clean and just general kind of health and making sure you're following the government guidelines. But uh, when they kind of go out to talk about the football, um, I think they've made it pretty clear to the fans that they're, they're kind of on our side of things, that they'd rather the season was either seen out or it's just null and void, to be completely honest. And some of the quotes for Stuart Robertson are really really good, really hard hitting, I think, as well, and kind of, kind of bum up the fans a bit. It was, uh, Thomas, it was a sporting integrity about that had me smiling. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, uh, as William is saying there, it didn't uh, it didn't lack clarity, uh, and it's a good shot across the bows of um, other uh, SPFL member clubs who are working in the background to get a, a resolution that, that favours them. Uh, it's also, I, I believe, you know, it's got the fingerprints of our new PR um, head that we can we can touch on later as well. But you know, I think one of the things to, to maybe to draw out there because we've, we've we've been nothing but talking about the coronavirus and, and all the dark things is that um, Stuart Robinson made a point of pointing out that the club was cognizant of uh, uncertainty surrounding, and I'm quoting here the future of many businesses and people's jobs, etc., because of the the length of the potential lengthy extended break. So I think it's it's probable to say that um, the Fane's painter will get paid on this occasion uh, by the club. Uh, and it's good that we are taking a view of not only the internal staff, but some of the smaller businesses that rely on Rangers on a match day. No, that's a, 
you're right, it's, it's absolutely vital. Um, you, were, you just mentioned there um, a new PR head at the at the club. Now, it's fair to say that the the press have had a bit of a field day. Um, I, I can't exactly remember the headlines. I don't read the papers, but it was along the lines of Rangers hire Orangeman as head of PR. Now, I've been a, a member of Heart and Hand for a while, and I know that David Graham does pods in Heart and Hand, and I have to say that every time I've heard him speak, regardless of his political stance, he's always spoke well, he, he, he loves the club, um, and it was just obviously a, a ploy by members of the media who dislike your club anyway to try and beat the club with a stick even further. Absolutely, it's just another kind of free hit, so to speak, that they're wanting to, to have at a club, they always will, they always are going to try and drag us through the mud, but as far as I've seen, he's, he's not done anything wrong. Um, and he looks like, going by the couple of statements that I think we've released, he's, he's kind of doing a wee bit a better job than uh, Jim Trainer was anyway in his company. Absolutely, absolutely. And Thomas, it's nice to have a man at the head of uh, the, the PR for the club who, like I say, regardless of his political views, whatever they may be, he loves the club. Well, well yeah, I mean, certainly, I, I mean, being a, a DUP councillor and a senior member of the Orange Order, which seems to have been the, the only thing that the Scottish mainstream media took away from uh, from the appointment, as opposed to here's a big change, a progressive change, somebody newer, younger, with, with different ideas, who've been, who's been at the sharp end of Northern Irish politics. Um, I really don't, and it's, it's, well, actually it's worthwhile just pointing out that being a member of the Orange Order is not a criminal offence. Um, it's, it's not an illegal institution. Uh, and so leading with that for a lot of the mainstream media is nothing other than here's a bit of sensationalist headlines and we can maybe try and paint Rangers as being backward looking, even though we've got, you know, everyone, anyone, and we're trying to be probably the most progressive club in Scotland. Um, but ultimately, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know David in any shape or form. And I really don't care if he's uh, a DUP councillor, if he's a member of the Orange Order, or even, you know, to a great extent, whether he's a Rangers man at heart, which it's nice that he is. I really don't care. What I really care about is, is he fit for the job and will he do a good job? And so far, he certainly seems to be energetic and getting on the front foot. Um, and if that continues, then I'll be a happy man because I, I do think that um, you can talk about the quality of press releases all you want. I'm not professional that capability, but I do think we've been reactive for too long. Um, and it would be nice to see Rangers, from a media perspective, get on the front foot and actually take control of narratives in Scotland, as opposed to reacting. Absolutely. No, 100%. And, and it has to be said, because it's not said enough, that um, being a member of the Orange Lodge isn't, isn't a criminal offence. Um, personally, myself, I'm not a member. I don't believe in God. It's, I don't actually know anything about it. So for me to comment on it would be wrong. Um, but no, being a, mem- being a member of uh, the Masons or Orange Lodge, there's, there's absolutely, as far as I'm concerned, nothing wrong with it. And like you say, as long as we've hired a man who knows what he's doing um, and will do his absolute best for the club, then I'm all for it. I'm absolutely all for it. He'll be judged on, on what he does, not who he is. Um, moving on then, Rangers have got a new investor, as far as I'm led to believe, Thomas and Stuart Gibson. Now, um we heard about this a while ago about money coming in for Hong Kong, but we've also been hearing about that for what sounds like 1962. 
Um, what information or what do you know about the new investment? Well, first of all, it's, it's probably um, as soon as I saw somebody from the Far East with the name of Stuart linked to the club, I, I was convinced it was going to be Stuart Baxter. Um, and I was looking for somebody with that picture with the, the moustache, the guy who's consistently linked with every club at one point to be their manager. Um, but Stuart Gibson, I mean, I think there's a lot more to, to come out about what the investment looks like. We've had had Dave King making it quite clear that this, this is a new investment, uh, sorry, is based on a new share issue. He won't be selling his shares, he'll be keeping them, etc. All of which was in keeping with what he'd said previously. My understanding is uh, Stuart Gibson had made his money, I think the company is called ESR, they're listed on the, I think it's the HKXK, which is the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, and he seems to have made his money. I think he's been in uh, Japan in the Far East uh, since late 80s, 87 or something like that. Uh, and they have made a lot of money in uh, commercial property, particularly round about where, uh, warehousing. Uh, I know they've got fairly large holdings in both mainland China and some in Macau and, and Japan, etc. But he seems like the, the real deal. Um, obviously, Rangers fans have been quite recently bitten and we're all a wee bit shy and coy. But what I do like about the, the narrative that's coming out from the club is, one, this guy's not a sugar daddy riding in to take control, and the club's keen to point that out. This is just an investment based on a share issue. You've got the people who have already been there through the regime change, Dave King, etc., will be staying in situ, so there's a bit of continuity. And uh, we're hearing in the background, and there's no details on this yet, but he will not be, this is Mr Gibson, will not be the only fresh investor in the new share issue. There are others lined up that will be announced in due course. So um, certainly seems like the real deal, the finances check out and the, the organisations check out. It's certainly a lot easier to find out information about him than it was about, um, let's say, previous um, investors. And so it's all to the good arrangers. What I do like, though, is the fact that it is not just a singular cash injection to take control of the club. It's based on a dilution of shares and a new share issue, which is very, very good news. Uh, just on that point as well, Willie, there was a lot of talk at the AGM by Dave King himself that he was looking to step down. And I think a lot of people felt that this investment coming in was, in fact, King stepping down. But like Thomas says, it's just a wee bit extra money via a share issue. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's it's going to going to do the club kind of well in the in the short to medium term. I think um, hopefully long term as well. If these guys, as uh, Tommy was saying, there's there's meant to be more than more than just one coming in. I don't know the exact number, maybe it's one or two, but um, it's more than welcomed. I think to be honest, because I think uh, we might need a, a good bit of investment coming summer if the if the league's still going ahead. You know, we're in this pandemic you know, so we're not really too sure where we stand, but. It might not even allow the EGM to go ahead, uh, considering the, the number of people that would maybe need to get involved uh, in voting voting resolutions through. That's a that's a good point, Thomas said on on the AGM going ahead. Um, what I, I can't remember the exact date for the AGM. Do you know it? Off the top of my head, I, I don't. I have to I have to sadly say, but I think Williams spot on there. I don't know. Specifically, what Rangers uh, articles of association say, but I'd imagine best case scenario, you're probably looking at some sort of. Uh, I think the only way around about it, maybe a postal vote, um, AGM type of thing where you post out the resolution and stuff like that. But that's really lengthy 
Uh, and there is a cost involved. We haven't to print everything up as well. So I think William's right. There's there's some conflicts about uh, delivering an AGM to get the share issue agreed that might need to be looked at. Um, and there's probably some implications for Club 1872 as a shareholder there as well. But yeah, that's a really interesting point. Right, just before we move on to the buyer game, actually, I just wanted to touch just quickly on the players during this as well. Um, well, what's going through the mind of a player when, as fans, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting constantly checking Sky Sports News, praying that there's going to be some football on. What's going through the players' minds and all this? I think they're just trying to keep themselves um, kind of relatively fat. I think that's the only thing they could maybe really do. But all than that, I think they're just taking it week by week. Um getting their information that way, but I, I don't even think any of, the, any of the teams are training in the league now uh, to keep themselves kind of isolated. But it's no way really to live. I don't know about you guys, but I was in the house there kind of nearly for about two days, I think, and I was nearly going off my head, to be honest. I know, I've had to watch the cartoon sing four times. No, I, it's, I, the... I don't know what to say to that, to be honest with you. <laughs> It's brutal, I'm not joking. I only realised the other day that the CBB channel um, repeats constantly. <laughs> oh, honestly, that is the thing, Thomas, as well, because players, from, as we know now, if you have a very, very young age are playing football and they're training and they're looking at their diet and they're living their lives all around football, and as football's evolved now, you, get, you don't get very many breaks between the end of the season and pre-season. So this must be a, a, a complete mind F-U-C-K for the players. I think, again, I think you're right. So putting to one side uh, you and William's rather strange viewing habits uh, now that you've been locked in the house. Um, Watch Sing. Then, it's brilliant, honestly. Do you know I'm going to give that a hard no? Um <laughs> Um, can maybe come back to me in a couple of months' time when I've watched everything on Netflix and Amazon Prime, and that's all I've got left. Um, but we do, we spend a lot of time uh, quite recently with some bad results. Rangers, we were talking, we spent a lot of time as a fan base talking about the psychology and the mentality and stuff like that. You know, people forget these players are just human beings, they just happen to have a athletic talent, you know. So sitting in the house, they'll have all the same worries about their loved ones and themselves, and then on a practical level. They, because there's only so much you can do in, in a house, um, no matter how big it is or how much gym equipment you've got, and I'm sure the club will be behind the scenes, you know, emailing them, texting them with uh, training plans and dietary information, etc. But they will lose conditioning, they will lose match sharpness. So uh, there's another impact there in terms of what we were talking earlier about trying to play games. If we do get back to a stage where Rangers expect to play games really quickly you can absolutely bet your bottom dollar that one, the conditioning of the players is going to be so rusty and then there's a potential for injuries and stuff for like that because you've not played in a while but ultimately, you know, from a human aspect they're going through the same worries that everybody else is you know, elderly parents children, etc. Who's vulnerable how's this all going to play out so, you know, I think they're in the exact same position as, as, as us at this point in time and also, just really, quick, just, just really quickly, um, before you come in there, uh, Wally, um, I did see one way that the um, media side of the teams are keeping themselves busy. Did you see the Bayer Leverkusen Hull Connect 4 match? I've seen that, yeah. A pile of nonsense. 
I thought it was brilliant. I was dead in tree. Thomas, player performance is a big part, obviously, of transfer value, and we've still got a good eight, ten games left of the season. So, if the season doesn't manage to get finished and we move into the summer, um, that's going to uh, not only affect, like you say, player performance and morale, but it's going to affect player values as well. That's a, that's a valid point, but um, if I was to try and maybe extend uh, a bit of a, a weak analogy here, um, if you've got, we, we all know the phrase, you know, form is temporary, class is permanent type, type of thing. So if you invert that a wee bit and that, you know, um, class is valuable and form is temporary, uh, so to speak, if you look, take Alfredo Morelos for an example, yes, the, since since they came back, uh, his form's tailed off, but so is the team. Uh, so the number of chances being created that are falling directly to him, coming off the back of suspension, some of the potential weight issues that we've spoken about, it's how dramatic a difference that would have on a value compared to a team looking at him saying, well, this is a guy who's humble beginnings, went to Scotland, got himself into the Columbia national team, top scorer on the group stages of the Europa League. This shows you what he's capable of. Every player can go into a slump. It doesn't make them a bad player. They come out of that slump. So I would be, whilst I, I get your point and I agree up up to a certain uh, point with it, so to speak, um, I wouldn't be overly concerned that somebody's value would completely drop off a cliff. It's not as if we're talking about Alfredo Morelos being, let's say, a 20, 25 million pound player. And then he has a couple of bad months uh, post-Christmas in Scotland. Uh, and all of a sudden you're talking about five or six million. That, that's not going to happen. There is a residual value with every player, and I think we need to just remember that. Yeah, you shave a wee bit off, but the player's still in there. It's not as if they've forgotten how to, how to kick a ball, so to speak. Yeah. I'm my, just worry, my, my, my worry, Wally, though, with Morelos would be he doesn't exactly get the fairest uh, media attention up here. Um, and if you look at the drop in form and possibly putting on a wee bit of weight and... Uh, the personal issues he's been having, it's affected his performance and his mental state. If you're a team down south and you were looking at Morelos and you were looking to, say, spend 20, 25 million, and then you see what's happening, and he hasn't had the chance to buck his ideas up, score another 10 goals, change the way that he behaves, that, personally, myself, I, I actually think that might seriously affect his asking price. I think if you're if you're wanting that, the kind of figures, I don't think it's going to happen with the kind of the form he showed recently along with uh, these kind of weight, well, it looks like weight issues um, that he has every time he kind of gets a couple of uh, weeks off or something. He kind of comes back kind of no sharp. As Tommy said, that the whole team's kind of like that as well. To be honest, I'm just waiting on his picture appearing on a paper in the style of Wayne Rooney eating that big toffee apple or whatever it is he's eating, that big lollipop. Don't know if you remember what I'm talking about. No, see, I Wayne. thought you were going to. I thought you were going to go somewhere else with the Wayne Rooney analogy there. Um, uh, no, about Tom- a granny or something. <laughs> about <laughs> Thomas, for, for me, Thomas, it's, it's the mentality thing. For me, it's the big issue with clubs looking at players because, like you say, form is temporary and class is permanent. Absolutely, but when clubs are looking for players, they don't want a player that's going to be sent off five or six, seven times a season. That, that's all true, right? And if you could pick one singular part of. Uh, I'm concentrating on Alfredo Morelos, right? But if you were to pick one particular part of him, it is the um, potential inability to learn his lesson, right? We all know he's a young guy, he's been 
you know, provoke blocks times, but that happens in every every game with every player, so to speak. Um, I still think that he's miles better than he was. And if any club was looking at that disciplinary record, yeah, there's a bit of petulance in there, but ultimately you can see progress and you can strip out some of those bookings and some of those red cards as being absolutely ridiculous decisions by Scottish officials. Yeah. On top of that, I'd also say as much as we get involved in it because you know we are the fans and we live in, in this country, etc., um, I, I don't know many clubs when they are thinking about a transfer that go to the daily record of the Sun headlines to try and you know work through a value. Uh, ultimately, they do that to sell papers, and clubs look at what the player adds in terms of stats, what they like about the training ground, which seems to be all positive. Uh, about Alfredo Morelos, what they like training, what is their talent like, do they have a sell-on value? None of that's impacted by, you know, Bill Lecky saying that Alfie's got a resting bitch face or whatever. So I think we just need to be fairly pragmatic about how much impact uh, mainstream media's narrative round about him actually has on an end sale value. No, that's, that's absolutely fair enough. And can I just clarify for anybody listening, because I've spoken about Morelos now for three weeks in a row. I love Alfie. Um, people are going to think I've got something against them, and I don't. I do. I, I genuinely love them. But we'll move on um, to the Bayer Leverkusen game because it's the only bit of football we've got to talk about. Um, Wally, you weren't on the last pod when Thomas and Scott decided uh, picked their starting lineups, and uh, there was an obvious uh, <clears throat> exclusion of Yanis Hadji. Um, what did you make of uh, Stevie G's uh, starting lineup, and did you agree with? Um. I think I would have preferred Hadji in there, to be honest. Um, he seems to kind of thrive on the European night so far. I don't think he's really done it domestically, but I think you're going to touch on that later. Um, I, I feel like it suits him better. It's maybe not as quite as intense. He's no kind of, you know, in the Scottish League, he's constantly guys are coming at you, you know, they're pressing you hard. Um, and he's kind of maybe not getting that wee extra second or two in the ball to, to kind of pick his pass or kind of get a wee bit of kind of flair on, on the ball, so to speak. Um, but I, that's about the only thing I would have changed about the team, the setup, to be honest. But then again, when you've seen the game and the way it was going in the first half up until the penalty, we were playing rigid, like really kind of in tight even, um, and just try to kind of let them go up to the wings and then we were going to maybe try and break. And I think maybe if we kept it in nine each... Gerard's plan was probably to bring on Hadji as that creative player to maybe try and then see if we could get in behind them and get the opportunity to get a goal. Obviously, it doesn't work out that way. But Now, see, you're getting far too ahead of yourself there, right? I'm the host. I decide when we move on to the game. I apologise. No, no, we're still at the starting lineup, so just you hold your horses, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, uh, Camberry on the bench as well, Morelos starting up front himself. Um, I think pr- pretty much most of the fans would have agreed with that, but there would have been some fans saying that over the last few weeks he's been the kind of only bright spark we've had up front. Um, where, where did you fare with Morelos starting up front himself? Well, I don't think it was a surprise. I think I, I mentioned that both in the pod and the article that um, the preview article I'd put out on this is Ibrox. Dot UK, um, where that's, that's how that's a good plug, by the way. I like that. Thank you. Um, I've, I've been practicing that uh, since the, since the game, obviously. Um, I think as well, it's it was unsurprising. In one, Morelos is the best striker at the club. Full stop. 
Um, we all know he's in a slump. But as we saw with uh, James Tavernier earlier in the season, uh, for certain players um, who are who have relatively consistently delivered for the manager, Gerard will play them out of a slump. Um, he'll play them through it and he'll play them out of the side. He did that with Tav, uh, where it's high-level pro- uh, errors and he thinks they're maybe needing to be shielded from some of that. Uh, I'm looking at you, Nikola Katic. Um, he'll take them out of the team. And so it was no surprise to me that Morelos would play. What would have been surprising and what's a, a nice, interesting wee, wee story uh, or a hypothetical, um, and this isn't a jump ahead of the host here, so I'm, I'm treading carefully, is the way the game played out, would Morelos naturally have started on the Sunday in the Old Firm game or would Kim Berry have got the nod? I see, well, that's how you do it. I never thought I'd find myself saying this, by the way, but in the preview, I missed Johan Mialbi. Um, I don't know if any of you watched the preview, but oh, they had to have Chris Sutton on. Anyway, get into the start of the game, Molly, because um, as you're so enthusiastic to talk about. Um, for the first kind of 30, 35 minutes, it was a strange game. Um, I was sitting at home watching it, and um, we were slow, but I thought Bayer was slow as well. And I, I looked as if they had a few more notches they could go up, but uh, um, we, we just didn't really start well, did we? No, I think we gave them an opportunity, uh, a real great opportunity in the first minute or two ball over the top, kind of over the defenders. I think it might have been offside if he had scored, uh, but he blasted it kind of over over McGregor's net, to be honest. But it was a, a good wee move, and I kind of thought for that moment, oh, here we go. It looked like they were right up for it. But as you said, it kind of petered out and kind of up to the handball. There wasn't really too much other than that. And if we never had VAR, potentially the referee hasn't even seen that, you know, and it's, it's, it's harsh as well. Very harsh, I felt, but that's all. It's, it's the rule, it's, it's what it should be. And we got one in Braga, similar. Just the uh, swings and abs- roundabouts. Absolutely, absolutely. Thomas, I felt we were giving up. His, in fact, it's the first time I've actually seen us in Europe under Gerard treat the ball like a hot potato. We were giving up possession far too easily and we were rushing passes. I think there's a, a couple of things in there. You know, we come off the back of a run of a couple of bad results, a lot of pressure on the players, a full house at Ibrox. Um, the European run being a, a bit of a highlight of the season, so you know, wanting to keep it going. I think if you compare the start game versus, let's say, the start of the Braga game, um, Braga, and I was guilty of this as well, watching the start of the Bayer game, thinking Braga were better. Braga were, you know, a bit sexier going forward, but playing that high line and always a bit ropey at the back. Bayer were disciplined, talented, and methodical. I think they actually just took control of the start. Um, to go to William's point, I think the dropping of Haji sent out the message that it was supposed to, which is, we're going to try and continue half, maybe try and pick one up on the break, and then defend quite solid, which we did um, in that initial phase up until the, the handball. I maybe slightly disagree with you and, uh, and William here in that it's it's a clear handball for me, uh, and you raise your hands, we're long enough into the season to know that if you raise your horn up, then there's every chance you're going to get a penalty against you. Um, so maybe I'm a bit an outlier with that one, but I wasn't surprised. I do agree though that I don't think the Brentford have seen it. Um, you know, we just picked up the, the VAR team. Um, but I think Bayer just looked like a team that could control it front to back, and particularly, and this is where I thought they were really good, 
they were solid back as well for a long period. They soak up a lot of pressure. We did okay in the week. Um, we didn't create enough time to try and hurt them, um, and they, they pretty much dominated it. Ah, they were very German. I must admit, they were very German. Um, and I've got to say, I slightly disagree as well. Well, I thought that was a clear penalty. I think the second that you you raise your hand even a touch now, especially with the the new handball rules that have come into football, you raise your hand a touch. I think, and uh, that 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 is a, a definite penalty. But I do think that. <clears throat> and I, and I, I don't want to be too harsh on him, but I do think well, that Edmondson did struggle for the vast majority of the night. Yeah, I think so too. Um, can I, I don't know if maybe European nights can of suit Cartage maybe a wee bit more. He seems to have done really well, but I think, again, we've maybe missed Hillander. He was a kind of rock in the group stages for us, to be honest. I don't think we conceded at Ibrox, did we? If he, when he was playing, I would did, didn't we? Young boy, better. I think yeah, we did. Uh, yeah. but, uh, other than that, I think his record against Porto and Feyenoord was really good. Um, although he, did, he, he doesn't really look the quickest. Like Edmonds, Edmondson's got the pace, but uh, Hollander's kind of got the more the positional sense. He's kind of like David Weir in that that way. You can kind of read the game a lot better. I, I think you're right there. I think Gerard Baird would be in Hollander. Yeah, um, and then develop. You know, Edmondson and maybe play them in Katic, play them some of the rougher games in the SPL. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I thought, to be fair to, to Edmondson, I agree with you. I think he had a, a bit of a, a tough time, but you're up against what Aaron Gies and Kai Havertz and all that. It's, it's not going to be an easy shift. And to the life of me, I can't remember the name of the boy who was playing down the uh, up against Barisic, but the boy, the boy's uh, pace was absolutely electric. He blew Barisic at the water at one point. And Barisic is not a slow man. No, and, and and I can't remember where I heard it, but I heard somebody talking, and on that exact moment when Barisic gets smoked, he was shouting at Barisic, and you've just got to sometimes put your hands up and go, "There's nothing I can do. The guy's far too fast." But um, I so so Havertz slots away the penalty, and it's one 0 Bayer, and. You're thinking to yourself, we're, we're known in great forum, but they've got so many more levels. And, and I must admit, Thomas, as soon as it went 1 0 to Bayern, I kind of thought to myself, that's it. I mean, the, different, the whole game is different to the, the kind of Braga game. Um, you get the feeling that if if Bayern really get out of sight, then we didn't really see us pegging them back the way we did Braga. Um, and the 1 up, all about really getting in behind, and maybe 1 or 2. Uh, we bits and bobs, but you were hoping that they were going to make a mistake. It didn't look like we were really going to chop them up. Um, and then we get close, obviously, to the to the, the second goal, which you, uh, William will comment on. Uh, the only reason that I say that is is because I can't remember which one he said it earlier, but it it, it was it didn't have the feel of the Braga game. And German teams are just so good at. At closing games and only playing really when they have to. But well, one thing I did want to uh, touch on was I could see for the front three that we had that the idea was to press the uh, press the defenders, but we, we weren't pressing in sync. The press wasn't working. Morelos was going, and then the other two, the other side of them were going at different times. The press just didn't seem to work. We didn't seem to know what to do. Yeah, I actually thought in the first half we were just allowing their defenders to have it. I thought maybe in the second half we started to press a bit more. Uh, maybe when we went 
well, kind of came out really for the second half. It was pretty much a full second half. It kind of let kind of go. But as you said, it was it was it wasn't really as in sync as the way it used to be when maybe Gerard first came. That's when I felt like we were pressing teams constantly. When Gerard first came, we were, even in the league, we were doing it and it was working for us. I feel like that's kind of slowed down a lot recently. No, definitely. Uh, so we'll, we'll just go straight into the second half and. <clears throat> Excuse me again. It was it just kind of started the same um, right up until um, Camberry came on, and for maybe yeah. I don't know Thomas five minutes, ten minutes, he was a wee bit of a spark, but not much after that really. Yeah, just to back to what William was saying as well. Just to start though, I think he's absolutely right in terms of uh, Rangers press it's happening the right way. We're getting we're getting caught up a wee bit uh, in that first half. Um, it's also worthwhile. You know, whilst we're talking about buy or not, just to reset the scene, this is a team that were, uh, what, I think six or eight points off the Bundesliga, uh, the top of the Bundesliga when they came to us, um, unbeaten in 2020, uh, beat Porto 5-2 in aggregate, they beat Dortmund uh, this year, uh, they beat Bayern, I think they beat or drew with RB Leipzig, they just come off the weekend of Francia 9 Frankfurt Frankfurt 4-0 as well, so we're not talking about a a wee medio- uh, mediocre middle of the Bundesliga team here. Uh, we're talking about a team that's going in the right direction. Um, but Camperi came on, if I remember, seven, ten, ten minutes, something like that, into the second half. I actually thought he was a pretty bright spark. As soon as you know, not only as soon as he came on, but all the way through, I thought he, he looked really, you know, lively. He gave them a bit of a physical problem um, right in front of where I sit in the stadium. Um, was one of his first touches the ball where he's held off a defender and actually managed to get the, uh, get round him and get the pass away which Morelos hadn't managed the entire night up to that point um, and his performance put him in the uh, you know in a position for that old firm game that obviously never happened um, ultimately though we had a couple of wee half chances I think there's the one where he uh, can barely nick the ball for the defenders when he tries to square it to Morelos but the defender nicks in and gets away with it, it was a good chance but aye, we didn't really create you know, tons of clear-cut chances, and then the next thing you know, they they came right back into it. I think the um, I think it was Aaron Gies again had a, a shot cleared off the line um, before he actually manages to to stick the second away. Absolutely, I think that the chance was Camberry kind of nicked it and gave it to Tav, and I think Tav played a through ball to Morelos, and Morelos didn't really really make the most of it. But chances were few and far between for us. But like you say. Uh, they had a corner, and uh, I think it was the 66th minute, and Davis heads it off the line. Davis, who we will come on to. But then just a minute later, there's poor defending, ball into the box. Tav tries to kind of hook it away, Willie and Aaron Gelway. Well, it was, it was a nice finish to make it 2-0. Yeah, but I'm going to be a wee bit critical of McGregor. I'd like to have to have done a wee bit better. I thought he could have maybe got down there. Maybe if he's 10 years younger, he might have done so, but... I think I'm being really harsh, to be honest, but ah, it's a nice finish, as you said. Aye, and we, we get a corner, Thomas, in the 75th minute, and the man we're talking about, Edmondson, we're giving him a wee bit of stick, but this time, well, a corner comes in, and a, and a good a good header for an unmarked Edmondson, which isn't something you associate with German teams. Aye, oh, the, 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 the marking went absolutely to sleep. Um, I mean, he's got, he's got nobody near him, um, and he manages to get a decent contacting the ball, hits off the inside of the post. I don't know if he's naturally aiming for the inside of the post or, or it just uh, just happens to go in there, but 
as soon as that went in, everybody got that lift, and you, I, I don't think anybody would say that they didn't think, oh, we're on for Braga, Mark II here. Um, and to be fair, we got a lift out of it, and for a wee 10-minute spell, I thought we, we kind of pinned them back a wee bit, and they just reset their shape uh, and tried to soak it up. But they were a wee bit, a wee bit rattled. Uh, after that first goal went in because the fans got behind the team and everybody seemed to get a lift but uh, even if we were to have got the, the second that I think you've got um, uh, uh, Barisic as a, as a free kick that shaves the, the paint on the outside of the uh, outside of the post um, I, I'm not entirely convinced that everybody would have fully believed that we'd been able to go beyond getting level because they were still a threat No, absolutely absolutely and and then Stephen Davis gives a ball away again. Now let's have a wee chat with Stephen Davis, guys. Well, um, that's probably one of the poorest performances I've seen for Stephen Davis, and he hasn't been performing very well of late. No, he hasn't. He's been like that in the, the couple of the league games as well. He's had a really poor 2020, but similar to the rest of the team, he's been well underperforming. He's been kind of missing some games and then when he gets the ball it's as if it's hot potato quick get it away and he's giving it to the opposition players uh, it's kind of killing us in the middle and I think if we did have somebody else like uh, maybe Jack uh, uh, Jack back from injury then I think he would have would have been out the side to be completely honest with you I understand Thomas that the team aren't playing well and we all get that but it's just not the kind of performances you expect for, to see for somebody as experienced as Davis Yep, and you know we've all seen some criticisms of, or oh, as his legs gone and all that type of thing. Uh, for me personally, I, he's still a talented guy. You know, I'd take his talent in a heartbeat. Um, I think what surprised me, um, or rather before I say what surprised me, I think what teams are doing is they're getting a lot tighter to him, because if he's essentially your your through man and you, he dictates the the pace, if you put a couple of guys on him, he's not really the quickest to get away from them, even though he's still talented in the ball. But what's really surprising for me, and it was the same in the Bayer game and same against you know, Hearts, etc., etc., and Hamilton, um, he doesn't seem to be knocking out the same um, through balls and over-the-top balls as he was used as, as he was. He seems to be going inside all the time or shuffling it back the way. And I don't know if that's just a mindset thing or he's not getting the runners beyond him, you know, Morelos and, and Kent, etc. Um, but he's not looking for that ball over the top. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, I'm expanding this a bit one of the reasons why he's not hitting the marks and one of the reasons why somebody like Ryan Kent isn't hitting the mark for example is it's short passes into a guy like Ryan Kent who's got a defender on him and he's got his back to goal that's not Ryan Kent's game it's balls over the top um, that need to be played over to run onto and Stephen Davis doesn't seem to be hitting those shots uh, uh, hitting those passes at the moment it seems to be knock it five yards, take the safe option, come back inside, and then go through the, the whole trope of out to Tav, into Goldson, out to Tav, into Goldson, maybe end up with Barisic, back to McGregor, and then we'll try something different. Um, so aye, there's a wee problem in the dynamic there in the middle of the park. I feel like uh, Davis as well kind of sits in front of the defence a bit too much when he's having these kind of poor games on the ball, and he tries to get it to get his confidence back up, but he's taking away four defenders as well. So when they've got the ball, they're playing a foot, maybe a couple of feet to Davis, who's standing right on top of them. And then that's three guys, sometimes four, depending where the right or left back is, that are out of the game, but only forward in front of the ball, can I? Um, I think, and that's, I think that's, really, 
I think that's really um, kind of hampering us now. No, absolutely. And I think what you see as well, when the ball's played to him in the midfield, his first thought is to pass the ball back. Because there was a couple of times in the Bayern game where he didn't even look and he just passed it back and gave the ball away. Yeah. You know, and it's just it's just not something we're used to seeing from him. But like we said, the whole team aren't playing that well now. But if we move on, there's, there, there was one real positive from last night. And it was a free kick for Bayer actually, that I thought just hit the bar. But Thomas, what an absolutely fantastic save it was for Alan McGregor. Yeah, definitely. And just pointing out to any listeners um, that this has just been recorded now and not um, the day after the Bayer game, since you were saying what happened last night. Um, uh, I was trying to give the illusion that it was recorded just after that. I like that. It's all the three of the, the pre-production and the post-production process. Um, feel free to edit that out then. Um, I, I mean, McGregor's still a great keeper um, and you know he still does a great job. Um, I'm not going to go all Graham Soonis about it um, and say, well, that's his, that's his job. Why is he getting a lot of credit for it? But um, we'd be in a lot worse position if it wasn't for the, the confidence that um, gives the back four. So when he makes these great saves, it's it, it's no it's that it's not surprising or you don't appreciate it. It's just what you've come to, to expect from a, a top-tier keeper. No, absolutely. And, and just for the record, it's been recorded on Wednesday, March the 18th. So... Um, and then in the in the 85th minute, Tav uh, reoccurring oh. injury and on comes quite possibly, in my opinion, the best right back in world football, um, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Polster. But then we see why he's not. <clears throat> a couple of minutes later, Leon Bailey gets the ball on the edge of the box, absolutely turns him inside out. And well, it, it, you've got to put your hands up and say it's a fantastic finish. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to sound like I hate McGregor here, but I think his positioning was wrong. I'm a, I've, I've played in goals, so I'm always quite critical of goalkeepers. Um, he is a fantastic goalkeeper, but I think recently he's been kind of out of his position, out of his zone. He's kinda, I feel like you can tell straight from the off if McGregor's going to have a really good game or not. If he gets that first kind of basic save, I don't see much going by him, but if he doesn't get that save for too long, I don't know. I just feel like his concentration maybe kind of slightly goes away. I think he's following the ball too much rather than try to like get himself set in a position ready for the ball coming at him. If you look back in it, you might see what I'm trying to say Like with his positioning. He's really close to his near post, which in the sense that when he turns him the opposite way, he's got like the full Al McGregor's left-hand side. Bailey, was it? Right-hand side. And he's, mm. he just needs to put it as far away as possible and he's hitting the, hitting the back of the net. I think you're being slightly harsh there. I thought it was a, a fantastic finish. And I, I, I don't think too much can be blamed on that goal, Thomas, for McGregor, for you. Um, I, I, maybe a bit both. I understand uh, William's point in terms of does he shuffle back, but I suppose I, I would probably go with uh, I, I think it's a good finish. Uh, I also don't think that McGregor's expecting Polster to get sat down on his backside. Yeah. Uh, so, so simply, um, but I get your point. I wonder if uh, William uh, is that maybe with some of that uh, erratic positioning or, or whatever. I'm not entirely sure. I, I completely agree, but uh, I wonder how much of that is McGregor on the recent one again losing confidence in the back four in front of him. Yeah, that's quite and quite true. It could be that. I try to be more proactive with his stance to yeah. to, to get out. Um, 
instead of trusting that the defence is going to mop up because they've been making such mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, I think you're spot on with, with what you're saying. And I, um, as I said, I pointed out, I think it might be a really harsh, but just when I look back on the goals and then I see it fairly at the angle where you're kind of in Bailey's position, he's just chopped it in. Polster has made it far too easy for him, to be honest. He's kind of dived in a bit. He's cut it back and he's just, he's got the full goal to aim at, really. I think it's a position we need to get somebody in for to challenge McGregor because I don't think Fotheringham's up to it, plus his contract's up at the end of the season. So I think that's a, that's a big issue that I think we have right now. Well, I think there's big talk of McCrory in the next couple of seasons anyway, being ready to challenge. But I think he's been awfully harsh on Polster. I mean, he was just on the pitch. You know, he didn't have time to, to warm up or anything. You know, I think he's been slightly harsh. But anyway, so 3-1 Thomas and... I think we all kind of knew that there wasn't going to be a second leg, but if there was 3-1 game over? I think it would be extremely difficult for uh, Rangers to have went to the, um, was it the Bay Arena? Um, and what, scored three goals, got a 3-0 win or, or whatever uh, to, to, to beat the, the uh, away goals trap as well. I can't see us playing against Bayer and not conceding. In all honesty, um, and trying to get three out of that defence, I'm not convinced that we would have had the capabilities for that. So, as much as I hate to say it, aye, for me, three one, two one, I'd have been, a, it was still alive because you can nick anything. Three one, I think they were probably just a wee bit out of sight. Yeah, maybe if we had started poster, but anyway, <laughs> um, right, um, we might have got results. <laughs> um, right, so. Just before we go, I wanted to just have a wee quick word on Yanis Hadji. We're going to take a, a a deeper look next week into the playing the playing squad, um, players on loan, players out on loan, and, and and stuff like that. But reports surfaced. I think it was either today or yesterday, Wally, about interest of Lazio and Yanis Hadji. Now I know his agents came out and said that's a lot of nonsense. But for you, I know he hasn't had a lot of time to prove yourself in the SPL, but for you, is he a player at, I think it's between either four or five million that you'd be willing to, to, to pay for and have him in the, the team next year? I'm not so sure. Purely, he is, he is a fantastic player, but just some of the games in our leagues, I don't think he's been quite at the level where he was maybe against Braga in the European game and stuff. It seems to the European football suits some. Whether I'd play four or five million pounds for that, I really don't know because he seems to shy away from it a little bit against the likes of Hamilton and that. Um, all the games we have seen, it's a, it's a sm- as I said, it's a small kind of sample of games we've had, so it's kind of hard to judge them now. But I don't know if I, I probably would pay the money. But the reason I'm saying I wouldn't is because you've kind of got a player probably similar to Kent who's kind of not had the impact I would have liked him to had for the fee we've paid and I think you could potentially have that with, with Hadji as well and then if you don't have Morelos banging in the goals you're, you're really struggling up there for kind of not so much creativity because Hadji's kind of he could do that like he's, we've seen it against Livingston where he's played that through ball and nothing found Arfield running and slotted it in uh, I just don't know I feel like I'm being really harsh on the team tonight but it's just the way out, I suppose. Thomas, is it is it 
possible possible um, that we're not seeing the best out of Hadji because of where he's getting where the manager's playing him. There is a real, uh, you know, potential for that. Um, I'll pin my colours to the mast here that I think he should be played, you know, further forward than that, and that ten role as close to the striker as possible uh, for me. But um, you know, I think we need to remember as well that the team's not been playing particularly great, so he's been dropped into that. Uh, how would Hadji have performed in a first six months of the season, Rangers, when we were flying and they've got a bit of space? I think the criticism of maybe not liking the physicality of the Scottish League is. It's possibly fair, although I don't think he necessarily, you know, runs away from it. I, I just think it's getting used to the fact that one, it's really physical, and two, you won't get the protection that you maybe get from European referees and stuff like that. Um, yeah. On the other side, of that I think it's important to remember that we're talking about a 21-year-old guy, um, and I really like him. Again, calls to the mast. I, I probably would spend four to five million. I think if it went beyond that, then you're starting to ask more serious questions. 21, his career's been so-so so far. You know, it didn't work out at Fiorentina. It didn't work out again. Touted to us, we've got the first option. His career's probably predicated on there's definitely talent and he had a cracking um, under-21 tournament for Romania. Um, but is he exactly the type of player that Rangers should be looking at from a player trading perspective and that he is 21? There's definitely talent. Other clubs have looked at him. We can pick him up for four million, which for other clubs isn't a lot of money. For us, it is. And there's no doubt going to be a residual sell-on value. I think that he probably is the type of player that we should be picking up and spend the money on. Aye, for me personally, I don't think you lose the four million. Regardless, I think he's he's got that much potential, and, and I really do think he's he's the player that we need. But again, I bring it back to. The manager's formation. I, I just think the way we play doesn't suit him. I think, like you say, number ten role, even at the top of the three in the midfield, Hadji's greatest skill, and we've seen it a few times, is just turning in that pass that cuts through defences. You know, um, but like I say, we'll take a a deeper look into the team next week. Billy, your tech guy, has threatened me with death if I don't mention the website. He's been working day and night. On the website, it's looking fantastic. It's thisisibrooks.co.uk. Um, there's plenty of blogs and articles. Um, some of them written by our very own Tommy and Willie on the pod. Um, there's a section there where you can read a bit about each of us and you can read about the guys in the background as well. So I'd advise you to go and check that out, thisisibrooks.co.uk. You can also get us on social media on Twitter at thisisibrooks, facebook.com forward slash thisisibrooks, Instagram. This is Ibrooks. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, Willie, on Twitter, what's your handle? Uh, Willie93. That's Willie spelt with a U, not an I. But an I eat the Thomas? <laughs> uh, mine's is relatively straightforward following that. Uh, it's Tommy in Glasgow. That's Tommy in Glasgow. How can people not just have normal Twitter handles? Uh, if you want to, if you want to follow me, it's at d eighty nine Martin. If you want to download the podcast, you can download it on Acast, iTunes, uh, Podbean, Podcast Addict, anywhere you want. Um, all that's left for me to do now is to thank Tommy. Thank you very much. And Wally. Yep. Thanks, Martin. Thanks, Tommy. And a big thank you from me. See you next week.